0: That. Today we're going to be talking about changing the way that we think. Okay, and this is a tough one. So, it, because if we if we neglect to change our thinking, then we will never change our actions. And I'll give an introduction in a second, but I want to get into the good stuff here. Okay, so I want to get you into the Bible real quick. And see, my kids t- say that I'm like two days older than dirt. So I'm going to go to the oh, I'm going to go old school. I'm going to go to the King James Version. We're going to go back to the 1600s. And in Proverbs 23:7, it says this. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And I'm going to use myself as a negative example just because there's so many good examples to use as me being negative. When we first got married, you know, when my wife got frustrated or mad about something, I, I used to tell her this. I used to tell her, honey, you shouldn't feel that way. Last night when I said that, there was like a gasp in the room, you know, because everybody who's been like married for more than two minutes know what an idiot I am when I say things like that because you just, you don't say that to your bride. You don't say, you don't say that to anybody. Humans don't work that way. Humans don't work that way when you just come up to somebody and say, hey, you're wrong, but or you shouldn't feel that way because that's the way we think. That's who we are. That's, that's our being. That's the only thing that we can, tr- can control. And so I, I got to tell you, this is going to be a tough message for some of us. But with that in mind, I want you to keep in mind this. When my bride knows that more than anything, I want the best for her. I love her. I want the best for her. She's a little more receptive to what I have to say. Keep that in mind as we pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the life that you give us. Father God, we, we want to hear you right now. We want to hear your word. We want to hear how powerful you can be in our lives. Father God, we just pray that you would get the pride out of our lives so that we can hear you, so that we can be receptive to what you have to say to us. Father God, just help us. Give us the power. Give us the strength. Let us see you show up in our lives right now. Let us honor you. Let us worship with our whole hearts as we walk out of this room today serving, acting in a way that glorifies you and exalts the name of Jesus Christ. God, we love you and we praise you. and It's in Jesus' name that we say, amen. I'm going to give you a second to open up your Bibles or open up your devices to Romans chapter 12 and um, give you a little bit of background before we we get started. My wife and I, Missy, have been members here at Impact since 1991. I know, it's a long time. I was on staff here for a period of time and and we have uh, three adult kids. We have a boy sandwich. We have a boy sandwich between two girls, and our oldest Shelby, um, uh, our youngest girl Sydney, and and William Harris the sixth in the in the middle. Yeah, I know he thinks he's a king or something like that. But, but. We're we loving our kids and and uh, Shelby, our oldest, graduated college last year, and she's uh, she's adulting now. You know, she's down in Houston, Texas, and and uh, we actually just got back from visiting her um, this week, and uh, you know, Texas, it's like big and hot. You know, so. So big and hot, you know. We first time we walked into her apartment, I walked around her apartment and promptly flipped on every light switch in the apartment, and I turned the AC down to like fifty two, just to you know, you know, just to, to to thank her and and to return the favor of her doing that in my house, you know, when she was a teenager, you know. So you know, and it's uh, it's great. She's doing great down there, and, and we have. Uh, um, uh, Billy and, and Sydney—they're just doing such an incredible job, walking through college and, and learning to, to do life. And, and, we, and we just love this season of life because our, our kids are—you know—now becoming our friends, and, and they're changing. We have kids that are just—you know—our best friends, and it's just an incredible season of life. We love them. We love them dearly. We want the best for our kids, and um, we, we love them so much. But you know, also too, you, you train your kids to fly, right? You, you train your kids to, to get at the house. You know, you hear what I'm saying? You, you train them to get out, you know, and, and we love them. We want the best for them. But we do want them to get out, you know, and because and, we're looking forward to that time of just, you know, reconnecting and growing again. And we're also looking forward to the naked house. You know, I'm looking forward to bringing that back. And, and you guys, you know, it's just an incredible thing. And we're looking forward to that season of life of just moving into that and, and uh, looking forward to, to knowing my bride better and knowing Seeing what God has in store for us. So so with that said, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And uh, we're going to be looking at verse 1 and 2, so this should only take us about two or three hours. And starting off in verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not be conformed by the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. I love to eat. Let me say that again. I love to eat. I just love food. Chicken, steaks, potatoes, vegetables. I love it all. I love to eat in. I love to eat out. I love Italian. I love Chinese. I love Hungarian. I don't discriminate in any way, shape, or form. Don't get me started on bread. I, I mean, bread, that is just... Mancini's, just one word. Who here loves Mancini's bread? I mean, just let's give a praise God for Mancini's bread. Let's just say that right now. Okay, I, I'm just, I just love food. I love a cinnamon, anything, barbecue, everything. I just love it all. I mean, you can prepare food in just so many stinking ways. You can grill it. You can bake it. You can toast it. You can, you can shish kebab it. You can fry it. You can, that whole raw thing, I'm not a big fan of. But if that's where you're at, you know, you do you. And, and that's a great thing. And, and my mom was one of the best mothers ever on this planet, okay? Now, you could probably understand who the other woman is who is vying for mom of the universe award, but but my mom loved me and my sister so well, she liked my sister. She I was the favorite. Uh, you know, she she kind of put up with my sister, but you know, I all right, she loved my sister too. But My mom loved her kids and she wanted the very best for her kids. She wanted us to experience all the good things in life. And and, and let's get back to the cooking thing for a second. My mom was just an incredible cook. And I I just love, she was like this, she was like this Italian woman. She was like this, this this Italian woman trapped in this Irish woman's body. You know what I mean? She just, just, if you left our house hungry, it was your own fault. She just, but here's the thing, 11 year old Bill, he was not the culinary connoisseur that he is today. He did not have that extensive list of foods that, that he loves to eat today. And, and my, wife, my mom made this thing called poppy seed bread for a dessert, poppy seed bread. You know, I, I didn't even wanna have anything to do with it. You know, it sounded like something that you were trying to still get legal in 25 states. You know, poppy seed bread, it just, it just didn't, I didn't wanna have anything to do with it. I refused, violently refused to eat this stuff ever, okay? Fast forward a couple months. I was at my buddy Chuck Farrell's house, okay? Mrs. Farrell, his mom. Now, she was another good cook. She could really cook. And on that night, we had dinner at her house, and she set this dessert down in front of me after dinner, okay? And when I grew up... It was disrespectful for you not to eat what was put in front of you, okay? You just ate it, you enjoyed it, and you loved it. But she made this dessert that was just like straight out of the oven of God. And it was just like the most incredible thing. I loved it. It was just beautiful. I went home and I promptly told my mom, you need to call Mrs. Farrell and you need to get that recipe. Now my mom was a gracious and loving woman. She called Mrs. Farrell. Turns out, It was poppy seed bread. (laughs) Turns out, it was my mom's recipe. (laughs) Now, here's the point. Sometimes we're just too stubborn, too prideful to enjoy the incredible things in life that are right in front of us. And because of our own pridefulness and because of our own stubbornness and because of the prideful choices that we make, we lose out on the incredible Blessings of life. We're gonna start off in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And Paul's talking about how we live for God. He's talking about living for God. And 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 he starts out telling us how much he wants this for us. He says, I want this for you. And he starts out in verse one. He says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Now Whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, you got to stop and find out what the therefore is there for. See, what Paul is doing here is he's connecting the previous chapters leading up to chapter 12. And he's connecting everything that he said in, in those first 11 chapters where he talks about the grace and the mercy and the love and the salvation that has been extended to, uh, to everyone there and to also to us, to you and me. And, and he wants that for us. More than anything, he wants us to enjoy the grace and mercy of God, and he wants us to enjoy the salvation that God has for us. And he uses this word, urge. I urge you. I beseech you in in the King James Version. And this urge, parakaleo, is used 20 times in the New Testament, this Greek word. And, And each time Paul uses that word, he's just begging the reader to hear him because of how much he loves him, because of how much he wants this precious thing for the reader. Paul wants you to live for God because Paul knows how good it is when you do live for God. He wants you to know God. And that's our focus today, identifying the things that that keep us from better knowing God and from truly worshiping the God that loves us. Because the more that you know about God, the more there is to worship God. See, God could have made humans such that instead of eating and enjoying all that that good food that I was talking about, he could have made us such that we just, you know, walk up to a wall, plug in and into a port and, you know, sort of get all the nutrients out of that way. But no. He created this stuff called food, and we get to enjoy it. And we get to sit down and enjoy all these textures and aromas and and, and just this incredible taste. And and I'm telling you, eating is a spiritual experience. I got to tell you, it just is. It's just We should just like sit down instead of just sitting there and say, hey, God, you know, thank you for the food. We should be like praising God for all this incredible stuff that he gives us. Like Mancini's bread. Again, praise God, right? Come on, you can do better than that, right? Mancini's bread. Uh, okay, well, that's okay. Well, we'll go back to that one. But I, I'm just telling you, it, it, eating is a spiritual, it, and because of the fact that God gives us these incredible things, he wants us to enjoy. This. He loves us so much. He wants us to enjoy the incredible things that he gives us. But too often, instead of celebrating, instead of worshiping the things that God gives us, in the way that he gives it to us, in the time that he gives them to us, we allow our pride to shortcut those blessings. And ultimately, we sacrifice the best blessings that he intended for us. Because we think we know best. See, instead of recognizing and celebrating the things that God gives us, in the timing that he gives them to us, we choose to want more. We choose to want different. We choose to want faster. We choose to want outside of the parameters that God intends them. See, God wants the very best for us. And when we are willing to accept the gifts that God gives us, when, we, when he gives it to us, in the timing that he gives them to us, that is when we respect. And that is when we honor the God that loves us so much. But let's be honest. Let's be real. It's hard to do God things God ways. It's hard to do God's bidding in God's timing and Paul recognizes that. Paul continues on in verse 1, and, and, and he continues on, and he says, obedience from the heart takes effort. In verse, continuing on in verse 1, he says, to offer your bodies, encouraging us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, because this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be Transformed. See, Paul says God is asking us for a sacrifice. God is asking us to obey. Sacrifice and obedience is completely contrary to our human nature, and it's also completely contrary to the world that we live in. See, God is asking us to offer our lives as a willing sacri- sacrifice, not just sort of half-heartedly, but he's asking us to do it willingly, willingly because of what Jesus Christ did for us. He's asking us to do it with our whole heart, our whole mind. He's asking us to give of ourselves. And our human nature isn't like giving. Our human nature is me first, me come first. God is asking us to trust him. And most of the time he's asking us to to trust him, even when he doesn't give us all the input, give us all the answers. And the reality is, even when we do have all those answers, when we do have all the data... We're still hesitant to trust him. So God is asking us to offer our lives, give of ourselves, trust him in a specific timing. Now, time is a precious thing. We live in a world today where where things happen at the speed of social media. Am I right? I mean, we know instantly that Aunt Irma in California had cream of wheat and she had raisins on her cream of wheat this morning. Instantly, we know that. And and that's the world that we live in today. Everyone expects, everyone needs the answers right away. We need it right now. And we expect and need an immediate response from God. The world that we live in today wasn't always that fast, was it? Look back into the time of George Washington. George Washington died on December fourteenth, seventeen 1799. Now that news took a week to travel from Virginia to New York. Some people didn't even know that their president died until the following calendar year. International news traveled at an even slower pace. Newspaper reporters were forced to go down to the docks and and get news from from people that were debarking from ships that came across the pond. Now, this may be urban legend, but supposedly King George, on, on July 4, 1776, wrote in his journal this statement, nothing much happened today. I guess he didn't get the news of what was going on in either, because news took time to travel. Sometimes the, the, the speed at which news traveled had tragic consequences. In the War of 1812, 2,000 soldiers were killed in the Battle of New Orleans two weeks after the peace treaty were signed in London. And just 100 years ago, the transcontinental phone system could only handle three calls at one time Today we are Wi-Fi in, in such a way that our grandparents or even our parents can never even imagine how fast the world is traveling. And, and we are witnessing the virtual death of time and distance. The world keeps getting faster and faster and faster. And with that in mind, we are surrounded by a culture that demands answers at the speed of sound. We want answers from God at the same speed, right? God is asking me to wait. Who does he think he is? Who does he think he is? God is asking us to obey. God is asking us to act in ways that are not natural, in timing that we are not used to acting. This statement's going to be a little hard for some of us to swallow, but I encourage you to chew on it for a little bit. Louis Giglio is a a pastor, and he's a speaker, and he's the founder of the Passion Movement. And Louis Giglio says this regarding the worship of God. God commands us to worship him because to do so is the most loving thing he can possibly do. God commands us to worship him because it's the most loving thing he can possibly do. How can I worship a God that makes me wait? Or worse yet, how can I worship a God who allows pain, pain in my life, pain in those around me. Now I'm not going to be able to answer your questions to the satisfaction which you desire, but consider this for a moment. When we are honest with ourselves, really honest, really humble, really honest, the reason that it is not natural for us to give of ourselves, act in a certain way, trust in His timing, or wait, it's because of our pride. It's because we think we know better. And because we think we know better, this keeps us from knowing God better. See, I used to think that, that faith was like the pinnacle of the Christian walk, you know, but, but it's not. Faith is just the starting point. More so, it's the obedience that comes from faith and worshiping God with our whole heart. It's not just about thinking I should do something. It's about acting on that thinking. See, the crazy thing is, though, we are more willing to do what we are told at work than we are with God. We are more willing to accept the things that our boss, our human boss tells us as gospel than we are to accept with the creator of the universe tells us that is really the truth. See, in these moments that that God is asking us to to trust him without understanding why, to do things that we don't want to do in a time that we're not comfortable in doing, these are opportunities. These are actually opportunities to grow closer to God, to experience him in a new way. These are opportunities to decide, whose side am I on? Am I on God's side? Or am I on Satan's side? Because there is no in between. It truly is an all in or nothing proposition. It truly is God or Satan. See, the world would tell us, our human nature would tell us, that we can have a little bit of God and a little bit of the world. The world would tell us that we could have one foot in heaven and one foot in the world. But God would tell us otherwise. God wants our whole heart, God wants our, our whole mind, our whole soul. In the words of Abraham Lincoln, he says this, My concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side. Sometimes it helps to remember when we're being asked to do things in a time that we're not comfortable doing or where God is asking us to step out in faith. Sometimes it helps to remember that we're not the only ones that God has asked us to do these things. Remember Joseph in the Old Testament? Joseph was, was told to remain faithful when he was sitting rotten in a prison for 15 years. David was told that, that he would be king of Israel. But it was 20 years later before that crown was put on his head. Moses w- was told that he needed to lead a bunch of whiny Israelites through the desert, through the hot desert for 40 years. Abraham, Abraham was 75 years old when he was told he was going to be the father of many nations. But it was 25 years before he ever changed the diaper. We're not the only ones that God asked to to wait. We're not the only ones that God asked to step out in faith and to do things that we're really not comfortable doing. We're not the only ones that that God asked to to obey without the answers in a time frame that we're not comfortable. And when God asks you to do that, I think we can just consider ourselves lucky that we're in good company. Keep in mind that it takes a choice to honor God. See, Paul continues in verse 2, and he says, But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Proverbs 23, 7, again, it says this, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Our thinking is who we are. Our thinking is the only thing that we can truly control. God asks us to renew our minds. He's asking us to change the way that we think about some things because changing the mind changes who we are. Changing our mind changes who we are. And let's be real here. This is a battle. This is a battle of our minds. This is hard. This is, this is hard stuff. Turn to, your, turn to the person beside you and say, this is a battle. Come on, you can do better than that. You didn't do so good with the Mancini's bread. You can do better with this one. This is a battle. <laughs> See, as much as God loves us and wants the best for us, Satan wants the opposite. We love to hear those passages, like in Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you. Plans to not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. But we conveniently forget the flip side, that Satan hates you and has stupid plans for your life. He has horrible, no good plans for your life. He comes to seek, to seek, to kill and destroy John 10.10 says exactly that. The thief's purpose, Satan's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. But here's the good news, my friends. That doesn't mean that we should live in fear. Because John also reminds us that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Christ who lives in each one of us is greater than Satan who lives in this world. John 10.10 continues on and says this. My purpose, Christ's purpose, is to give them a rich and satisfying life. The truth is, this is a battle which we can win. See, the battle has already been won. Paul says in Philippians 2, verse 13, he says this, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. God is working in us to give us the desire to do what he's asking us to do. And learning to use that power, learning to direct our thoughts, learning to to, to renew our mind and our heart it's actually an act of worship. It's, it's, in my mind, one of the most powerful acts of worship and one that brings God the most pleasure because we can sin in our mind with our thoughts. Jesus says this in Matthew 5, 28, anyone who looks on a woman with lust or man, we're not leaving you guys out. We're equally, you know, come on, come on. We're, 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 not, no, we're not discriminating in any way here, women. Um, when anyone looks on a woman with lust has already committed adultery, his mind. Training our minds in such a way that we don't sin is truly an act of worship. And if we neglect to change our thinking, then we will never change our actions. Someone once says that 10% of our lives are determined by our situations, but 90% of our lives are determined by how we choose to react to those situations. Learning to train and direct our thoughts is not something that happens once and done. It happens over the course of our lifetime. It happens as as we grow and mature with God. It happens as we learn to work through those tough times. It happens as we learn to work through the good times. It, it, It happens as we learn to experience God more. Romans 8, 5 says this. People who live following their sinful selves think only about what they want. But those who live following the Spirit are thinking about what the Spirit wants for them to do. If if your thinking is controlled by your sinful self, then there's spiritual death. But if you are thinking controlled by the Spirit, there's life and peace. And my friends, that life and peace is better than anything we can imagine. Paul wraps up Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, and he says this, Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good and pleasing and perfect will. A.W. Tozer says this, the most important thing about us is what comes to our mind when we think about God. The most important thing about us is what comes into our mind when we think about God. The Bible says that the most wonderful, the most beautiful thing that we can experience in this life is knowing God. It also says that the longer we walk with God, the longer that we experience God, the more we know about him, the more powerful our relationship becomes. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 11 says this, when I was a child, I spoke and I thought and I reasoned like a child. But when I grew up, I put those childish things away. Now I see things imperfectly, like puzzles, puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then... We will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is, is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely just as God knows me. The Bible says that, that marriage is a type or representation of our relationship with God. See, sometimes in the Bible, the Bible is trying to explain some things that, that, that are so powerful, so magnificent, that our human minds can't even begin to comprehend what the Bible is trying to tell us. So sometimes the writers of the Bibles have to use things that sort of represent what they're trying to tell us. And our relationship with God is one of those things. So the Bible compares marriage relationships with our relationship with God. When I first got married, I used to look at those old guys you know, who have been married for like 25 years and, and, and they were like these, these hen-pecked little guys that would follow their bride around, you know, with a, with a ring in their nose and they would just be led around and, and they'd just be falling, they'd be like these hen-pecked little wimpy guys and just like, I couldn't understand why they would just be acting this way in this, you know, and we've been married for 26 years. I get it. There is nothing better than coming home and experiencing time with my bride. There is nothing better than than just coming home and experiencing that incredible, just being with her, being in her presence, just loving her, spending that time with her. There is nothing better than that. Uh, you know, over our years of, of our relationship, our, our relationship has changed pretty dramatically. When, when we, you know, we first got married, it was the, uh, you know, the, the college missy, you know, the sexy college missy, you know, the AKA girls going wild missy. You know, well, she wasn't, we weren't that wild, but, you know, it was just, we met. And then, then when we got married, our relationship really began. That's when our relationship really began. And then we had newlywed, Missy. Then we had relationships with, with our kids. And, 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 you know, that was some hard times. And then there was almost died, Missy. You know, and, and that was a hard time. And, and then we had some good times, you know, with our preschoolers. And, 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 we, and then we, teenager Missy. Now we're walking into some new times of of adult kids missy and looking forward to grandma missy and looking forward to retirement missy and looking forward to those times of relationship of just growing to know her. And I I freely want to admit that I am that henpecked, can't wait to get home and be with my bride husband. As good as any marriage relationship can be, it pales in comparison to how good our relationship with God can be. And i got to tell you, I think that anybody's relationship on this planet ever pales in relationship to the relationship that Paul, the writer of the New Te- most of the New Testament, had with God. Paul had the most incredible relationship with God. And let me me give you just a taste of his relationship with, with God. In Philippians chapter 3, he says this, starting in verse 7. I once thought that those things were valuable. And he's talking about everything in his life that he thought was good. I used to think that those things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. And he wraps it up with this. I want to know Christ. I want to experience the mighty power that has raised him from the dead. Knowing God, experiencing all He is, is greater than anything we can ever imagine. And it's not based on, on circumstances or situations. It's not based on a feeling. It's not based on a single day or, or single moment in time. Knowing God is based on experiencing God, knowing God is about a relationship. Knowing God is about working through those difficult times, learning how to experience God, knowing that we can trust him, knowing that he loves us more than anything we can ever begin to imagine. Knowing God is better than anything we can ever imagine or ever experience. And I want to encourage you, to deepen that relationship. I want to encourage you to start at that relationship. If you haven't started at that relationship, I want to encourage you to take that step of being baptized. Because my friends, that's when your relationship truly begins. When you're infilled with the Holy Spirit and you you were given the desire to experience God to the fullness of all He is. My friends, I want to encourage you to take those steps of faith when God is telling you to act when it doesn't feel right to act. I want to encourage you to take those steps when when God is telling you to do it. I want to encourage you to get the pride out of your life so that you can truly experience who God is and truly experience how much he loves you so that you can worship him in a way that he truly deserves to be worshipped.